You're listening to the Divestopedia Exit Strategy Podcast, where we interview entrepreneurs who have sold their companies and the advisors that help them. We elicit expert advice from exit planners, attorneys, merger and acquisition experts, accountants, business appraisers, and financial advisors, all with a goal of educating you about the sales process. Make sure to visit us on the web at divestopedia.com to see more of our resources for entrepreneurs who want to sell their business for the best price and terms. Whether you are thinking of selling, have started a sales process, or are post-deal, we aim to arm you with the knowledge required to maximize value and limit your downside risk. And now, here's your host, Noah Rosenfarb, a CPA and personal CFO to business owners planning their transition. Rosenfarb here with a great guest today, Jay Turo. Jay is the CEO of GrowthInc, a consulting firm that since 1999 has helped over half a million entrepreneurs and business owners with uh, developing their business plans, raising funding, and growing their business. He's an active angel investor, a speaker, a writer regarding private equity, entrepreneurship, and technology. And uh, Jay's got a wealth of knowledge. And not only is he uh, someone that helps CEOs grow their business and and create value, he's also bought and sold, or or rather sold, a couple of companies. So, Jay, thanks for joining us and your willingness to share your experience. Thanks for having me, Noah. Really looking forward to it. So you were telling me uh, before the call that you had a frozen food business. Why don't you share with me and our listeners a little bit about your experience uh, as an entrepreneur? Yeah, well, I had a couple of experiences I think very relevant to our audience. So it was family business. My brother and I, we purchased a fleet of ice cream trucks uh, in the 90s on Cape Cod in Massachusetts. So we were the largest uh, – uh, we, we built that business up from kind of the core – uh, um, the beaches and the concession stands and the neighborhoods uh, on Cape Cod, which is a resort area, and built it up into a, a full-scale distributorship of frozen foods that we eventually sold to an, an owner-operator uh, as a precursor to starting GrowthInc. So uh, in that experience, I um, had the opportunity to hire, train, manage, and um, unfortunately, fire a lot of people, a few hundred people. Uh, probably not fire all of them, but hire and train and recruit and, and manage a team of um, of, op- of operators and salespeople. Uh, worked with a lot with government, a lot of government contracts in that business. Had the family business dynamic, working with my older brother, uh, which uh, working together for him uh, for seven years was a lot of the family business challenges that we see. In, uh, in businesses in the lower middle market, very personally uh, cognizant of those, of what the opportunities are of working with family, but also the challenges. Uh, and um, also saw some of the, I think two things. One was a, a natural kind of limitation of growth in, mature, in a mature market. That's one. So thinking a lot about market opportunity and valuation. Uh, the business didn't sell for as much as we thought it was worth. We got a nice number for it, but it's hard to get a high multiple because of the the the, the, uh, the overlay of the uh, industry. And then also just that I think that enormous just value of change for change's sake. I think that uh, very admirable quality of a lot of business owners to stick with something for a long time. But there's also a lot of personal value to, to, to do things in different businesses. As, a, as you have that opportunity, 
uh, you're able to do it. There's actualization opportunities to do very different businesses. I, you know, so I had a business in the frozen foods and the ice cream business. Uh, I've had businesses in the uh, telecommunications arena. Uh, we've had uh, a, a business in the music arena that uh, we've run. We've had a business in the um, uh, in the uh, digital products information publishing business that we've started and we've sold off pieces of. Uh, we've had a, a business, a kind of an Ibis World Forester competitor, where we've uh, created research reports and sold those online that we built and sold. So a lot of opportunities uh, to do things that are adjacent to your core business and core experience, but then also nothing like thinking about building a business to exit, both for the financial freedom, and I know that's key to a lot of what uh, how you think about uh, exit planning, Noah, but also that I think an underrated component is the ability for self-expression to do different things. So take me back in time when you were uh, in the frozen food distribution business. What prompted you and your brother to sell? Did you get an unsolicited offer? Did you have a, an auction process? Well, we hired an investment banker who ran an auction process, uh, helped us put a book together, and you know, we were tasked with communicating what the historical financials of the business were, as well as its growth potential. Uh, so we had, we, like, as, as is typical in these processes, we kissed a number of toads, and it was a winding road. And of a business of that size, it, it wasn't big enough to sell to a strategic or a financial acquirer, which is a key theme I'm sure we'll talk about here. But having to sell to another owner-operator, you know, there was a degree of um, of seller financing that was necessary in the transaction. And uh, any time a business is sold, big or small, there's this complexity of training. There was a, a consulting agreement that went along with the sale that to provide post-sale uh, advice, which is always tricky because you have to go from a little bit of an adversarial relationship in the sale process as you're negotiating to a partnership uh, and whenever there's a sale or financing or earn-out component. So there was all those aspects. Um, in terms of why we decided to sell, um, it was, uh, I, I, I think, for a lot of the reasons. I mean, we were, we were, in a, we were both in our, uh, at the time, in our early 30s, and it was, let's try some other things in life. We had a good run. We made some nice money. Uh, and the, the dollars that we made from the sale gave us the opportunity to do some other things that uh, we were interested in doing. Um, my brother has moved on, and uh, he took a corporate path. He, uh, uh, From a lot of that experience, he was able to – he got a job managing the Dasani water brand for Coca-Cola, which is a very cool job. Uh, eventually moved over to uh, Fortune Brands and was managing their Saza Tequila brand and then their Cruise um, and Rum brand. And a lot of the, you know, in, in big companies, a lot of the product management dynamics is very entrepreneurial. They're given a budget, a marketing budget, operational responsibility for P&L. Uh, and now he runs all of um, uh, Jim Beam's, uh, all of their operations in Mexico. He lives in Mexico City now, so he's got a team of marketing people and operators and all the, you know, obviously tequila is a big product in Mexico. And, uh, you know, he's trying to build out other spirits businesses in Mexico. As as Mexico, as the middle class 
matures there, and you know they're they're you know the rum business, the vodka business, other spirits businesses are growing there, uh, and uh, managing that growth. So a lot of those entrepreneurial experiences very portable to what he did and to the things that I I've did um, in founding GrowThink after after uh, after selling that business. So what was the when when you look back and reflect with you and your brother, and what was the biggest takeaway? Was either the the best positive experience or the or the best learning lesson? I think that the the best positive experience was the winning, growing the business and making money. <laughs> okay, so you know there was, that business that uh, it's. There's a seasonality to the business. So there was a lot of days when you're putting on a lot of money and you're not seeing a lot back. And then uh, Cape Cod, you know, the population it swells by three or four x in the core July, August, summertime months. And seeing the money roll in was was, it was very invigorating. It was very a lot of adrenaline. Uh, you'd have days where you, know, you could see the profits. It was very exciting. So that was very rewarding. It may not be the most, uh, you know, I think we forget about that. Making money is a lot of fun, so it was fun to make money. It is. <laughs> so that was, that was rewarding. In terms of lessons, I think the uh, around company culture and people and creating entrepreneurial structures within an organization for people to succeed. Your best people are always going to have a, a strong mindset of entrepreneurship, of proactivity, and your challenge as a business owner is really, uh, if you're going to build a business of any lasting value, you have to have the people around you have structures that allow them to be entrepreneurial and be successful. So that's a huge lesson about getting, I, I think, as you start out, when, you're young, when you start out as an entrepreneur, that it's very much about you and your experience. But the really, really successful folks, the really admirable folks, you know, the, the great... Uh, the greatest entrepreneurs of our time, the Richard Bransons and the, you know, the Steve Jobs, the Bill Gates. I mean, they create these cultures where people are able to do the best work of their lives, and I think that's a key theme. The way you the ability to create a culture to do that. And by the way, I may ask one more thing to that, Noah. Sure. To do that, you got to grow. If you want to attract talented people, you got to have growth. Uh, if not, there's not going to be opportunities for them to have all those experiences. Yeah. Well, did you have a plan in mind prior to selling the frozen food business of what you were going to do at your time, or did it did you kind of sit on the beach for a few months and figure it out afterwards? Um, you know, it's a good story. I uh, Dave Levinsky, uh, who I, I think you've been in a little bit of dialogue with Noah, and I I was uh, I got my MBA from UCLA. Uh, in the latter years of uh, running this business. So that was a, a story in and of itself. I, I was getting my MBA in Los Angeles, and I was running a business in Cape Cod. So um, we're not going to come back to what my classroom attendance was uh, during <laughs> But we made it work. And the story is that Dave, a very, very extremely talented marketer, uh, his background, he worked at some of the most prestigious market research firms in the world. And the idea of GrowThink, a lot of it was he saw – you know, he sees business very much in terms of market opportunity. It's very fundamental to the DNA of GrowThink. And then I see business very much from a small business, from a financial, uh, from a financial, from a financing, making money standpoint. So GrowThink is a lot of the combination market opportunity, and then you know that piece, and then the small business natural aspect of building a company. So he came up with the idea of GrowThink. 
At the time, I was running uh, the frozen foods business. At this point, my brother had segued from it. And um, I had, on Cape Cod, I had a house. I had a car. I had a business. And I had a girlfriend. I'm married now, so... Hopefully my wife won't listen to this uh, this, this podcast. <laughs> I had a girlfriend, so I had this. I had kind of the basic building blocks of a life, and so Dave came up with the idea of GrowThink, and um, within two months, I had um, sold the house, sold the car, gone down the path of selling the business, and for better or for worse, broke up with the girlfriend and moved to California. So now the, the, the joke was that I could have, as opposed to selling, I always felt that as opposed to selling these things in their component parts, like I had a certain amount for the car, a certain amount for the business, a certain amount for the house, I could have, and the girlfriend, I could have put, put them all together as a package. I could have sold the whole life. But the girlfriend, she didn't want to go for that. Yeah. So we sold them off as pieces. And what was the idea behind GrowThink? <laughs> what attracted you to the company? Uh, with GrowThink, we were very, uh, you know, very much of this idea. First of all, Dave's background, his parents are special education teachers and were for many years. They're retired now. So he has a very much of a mindset of teaching, of helping. That's very much his philosophy of the world is to be a, a teacher, to be somebody to help people realize their full potential. And Dave's parents are wonderful people, and they're just that special kind of people that of the mindset to help others be their best. So a lot of this, or what we do here as advisors, uh, is is coaching. It's helping people do their best work. So uh, that's a big influence of what attracted Dave to the business model. You know, for me, there was the aspect of, uh, I could see a lot of money be made in this business, <laughs> one. Uh, two, uh, it's this concept of exits, and a little bit of it is that you can make an exit by owning a big piece of one company, or you can build more of a venture capital, private equity model, and uh, get pieces, a lot of little pieces of a number of companies. And we felt there was an opportunity to trade services, trade professional services, know-how, for uh, contingency equity opportunities in growth companies. And I thought that was a very interesting model, very in line with the times, and allow us to to um, get equity positions in a lot of dynamic growth companies, and especially technology companies. So we were very excited about that. And then also just, you know, what did we do? David and I, we, were, we, we met in business school. We were very good friends. What would we do for fun? And what we would do for fun is we would we would go to Costco and we'd look around at all of the products and talk about the business models and read Inc. Magazine and Entrepreneur Magazine and 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 just talk about business and learn about business. It's just what we do. It's what we do for fun. You know, it's what we do, what would we do when we're old and retired? What are we going to do? We're just going to you know talk about business and the idea to be able to strategize about business and get paid for it, it, it was wonderful because what we do for fun. So if I didn't do this business, this is what I do. I, you know, I, now I read TechCrunch. Now I read Private Equity Week, and still the same idea of wow, these business models. You know, I was I had I had the good um, fortune of being at the Googleplex last Tuesday for a conference, and you know what Google is doing in mobile and what modern branding is about with tweeting and and um, with. Um, you know, Google Glass, what's that going to mean for brands? I, I just find I would do that stuff for nothing. <laughs> well, I'm with you. That's how I feel about my day job. Yeah. Uh, so um, 
tell me more about the process at GrowThink and how you help owners. I mean, helping half a million uh, half a million owners that's really an impressive amount of people that you've influenced. Sure. So, tell me how how did you achieve that level of influence, and what is it that you're influencing? Well, as our business as our business evolved over the years, it became clear that uh, professional services model that you're limited by your time, right? So you, you, you have advice and that you work with one client, there's naturally an opportunity cost in terms of working with another client. So uh, about four years ago, we decided to take a lot of our, a lot of our best content and develop an e-learning platform, a do-it-yourself platform, where we sell a lot of our know-how in packaged products and templates. And we built a publishing business that, that we have a core product, a business plan template, that then that we do a lot of um, a lot of a paid search and 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 a search engine optimization and social media to drive uh, uh, drive attention to some of our um, our to, our to a particular product, our business plan template, which is a distillation of a lot of our best practices of putting a business plan together. And then from there, like a legal Zoom, we have a, a network of of do-it-yourself products and services around raising capital, around exit planning, around crowdfunding uh, as a specific aspect of, of raising capital, around social media marketing, public relations, and uh, these products have been have been purchased by tens of thousands of entrepreneurs. And in that process, we've also then developed a lot of of uh, free educational content that we give away. And that's been uh, now has been experienced by four to 500,000 entrepreneurs around the world have downloaded a lot of our free content. So that number is a combination of those that have taken a, a lot of our educational, uh, educational uh, products, a lot of our um, – that we uh, give away, a lot of the ones that we purchase, and then our core consulting practice that in the past 14 years, we've worked with over 3,000 companies in helping them develop business plans and exit plans and uh, then go out and execute on those, on, those, on, those, um, on those plans. So many aspects to it, Noah. <laughs> what would you say are the, the three most important things that owners should be thinking about if they're contemplating a future exit? That's a great question. I would start with timeline. Uh, there, I love, I love your, I love the freedom branding around what you do, and I think that's a great. We, are, I'm working on it. We're doing a strategic retreat for a gentleman in the collections business. We've got a very nice business, one of the bigger collections firms in the country. And so, moderating a strategic retreat for him later this month, and he's got his freedom date. It's five years out in the future. I love that. So. <laughs> He's got. A, he actually has a date. It's his freedom date. Uh, it's February twelfth, two thousand eighteen. It's like that's my date. And yeah, that's great. That's focus. I love that. Put a date out there, and um, then obviously from there you naturally get to a number. What that number is for your freedom, <laughs> and then you work backward from there. Uh, Dave, Dave Levinsky, you know, he wrote in last year a book published by Wiley Publishing, Start at the End. That's the first thing, is that work back from a date and a number, work backward. Uh, that would be number one. Uh, number two is would be, uh, would be people, would be about, okay, so, you know, what is this organization, you know, what, 
what is the culture? Is the business is the business uh, one where the people in the uh, almost always there's going to be a number of people. Very rare is a business sold that it doesn't. The people that are in the business aren't a core component of the value. So, you know, what are you doing in terms of of developing a learning organization, a culture where your people are doing great work and and will be able to do that great work um, post sale? That would be the second thing. So think about you know what is your people development. The third thing is technology is. Uh, is your company a leader in the use of technology to automate your business, or are you a laggard? And there's a lot of studies that show the companies that are leaders in terms of technology and utilizing it for automation and for competitive advantage, they sell for much higher multiples than companies that aren't. We just had a great guest, uh, Dan Abate from Robotaton. Okay. Who goes into small businesses and automates them. And, uh, you know, it's such an interesting concept. I, I had posted it, you know, I guess it was, uh, by the time this goes live, it'll be a few weeks ago. And, uh, you know, it's amazing the feedback you get from people that don't don't think about automating their small business. Uh, please let me know about that. I'd love, I'd love to listen to that. Yeah. So, uh, and then... Um, when when you're talking with owners about strategy, what would you say is the most common complaint you hear from them, in, in either in terms of the planning or the execution? Well, that's another great question. Um, I think about that one a lot. I think that the challenge with traditional advisory processes and investment, whether they be investment banking, management consulting, accounting, or the law that they're still a little bit stuck in the 20th century where they exist outside the main flow of the business. So uh, there's, there's the ultimate example of that, that people say things like, well, I've got a business plan that sits on the shelf in my, my office. And that's an example of a process that did not get deep into the actual the guts of a business. So I think a huge challenge is to think about strategic planning and have it be running and have it be done within the actual work processes of the business. So a lot of that is now on software as services. It's on programs like Google Analytics, mail, you know, Constant Contact, Salesforce. Um, there's, there's a million programs, software as services, the most QuickBooks that modern businesses run off of. So, and that's all this data and analytics. And it's actually this, there's actually strategic planning there. So connecting that kind of those aha moments that we have in retreats and strategic planning processes to the way the business is actually being run. Uh, I think there's a lot of innovation that's going on there. And so figure out a way to do that so you don't run these processes outside of your business. They're actually integral to the guts of what you do. So the thing that, you know, when entrepreneurs say things like, well, I don't have time to do strategic planning. I don't have time for a two-day retreat with my key executives. They're not, they're, just, they're, they're not thinking about the business the right way. That's actually the work. They shouldn't have time for the other stuff. That's stuff they should be having time for. Right. Yeah, it's not having time to breathe, you know? Yeah. Yes, exactly. Uh, so how about, you know, I know you guys have a great product called the GrowSync Dashboard. Is, is that what you're talking about also in terms of bringing value to owners? Does, does the dashboard kind of feed all that automated information into to an owner so they can interpret it? Yeah, the, the the dashboard is really it's a culmination of our experience of working with thousands of entrepreneurs. Really, um, a lot of it is uh, we've experimented on many clients over the years <laughs> to figure out every which way not to run a strategic process. And our dashboard is a culmination of a lot of those experimentations. And then also the technology has matured that now it's usable. Um, you remember Apple came out with an iPad 20 years ago. It's called the Newton. But it didn't work. Technology wasn't there. 
So now the technology, the interfaces, the uh, the APIs, everything sitting on the cloud, it's good enough to create this effect, of da- this dashboard effect, which is this idea that take all the intelligence in the business and boil it down to what we call the magic metrics. So those two or three key things that there's that basically upon which the success of the business depends and measure those very, very accurately and then be able to be really hyper-focused and laser-focused on how to improve those metrics. So all that culminates in our, in our dashboard product, which are, we think is the best-of-breed offering, specifically designed for lower-middle markets, companies, small businesses, allows them to get all the data intelligence of their business out and into a frame that works for them to digest that then will allow them to make the best strategic and tactical decisions possible. So give me a practical example. Tell me about a client you worked with kind of before and after as it relates to automation, you know, whether or not it included your dashboard, but in terms of the the work you've done and kind of advice you might have to owners that are listening that they could replicate this well, process. I, I got a great story. So we got a uh, – <laughs> so, you know, we got all these um, – there's some political turmoil in Washington. I don't know if you if you're, know there's all this drama going on right now in Washington, you know, the shutdown and all the rest of this. So, so there's uh, there's these um, – and I'm not, this isn't a call about politics, but there's these um, – there's a lot of folks in this country that are very um, anti-Obama. I don't know if you've ever noticed this. They don't <laughs> – so very anti – so, and especially there's certain folks that are very convinced that Obama and the Democrats, their goal is to uh, take away all of the guns. So NRA guns, that's a huge hot-button issue for a lot of people, right? So I'm not going to take one side or the other on this call, but this is an emotional issue, gun control. So we have a client of our dashboard that is in the crossbow business. And the crossbow business... You feel like these crossbows are like Thor, you know those. It's like a, it's like a, it's like a bow and arrow, but it's it's a horizontal. Right. It's like so you know, like it's, it's like, like a rifle. <laughs> like a rifle, but it's not a gun. It's like a rifle, but it isn't. Right. So, <laughs> so the uh, it's a serious piece of hardware. So these guys they sell crossbows online, and their core messaging is around, uh, you know, when the zombies come and Obama's taking away all your guns, you'll be there with your crossbow. <laughs> this is the basic message. So they're a, client of our, they're a client of our dashboard. And what they've been able to do, a lot of this is very, it's driven by very sensitive pay-per-click advertising around terms related to um, gun control, because uh, there's a lot of correlations. You, if you, there's not that much searching going on in crossbows. So, but to the degree you can advertise on terms that are interested, that interesting to gun owners, you get some pretty good correlations here. So, all this data exists in programs like Google Analytics that then connect to some kind of e-commerce software, and then it connects to a constant contact, a MailChimp, an email marketing program, and then the triangulation of this data is how you get intelligence on what's working. Now, before, the way they would do this would be once a week, they would look at all this data. It was very time-consuming, and they'd have to log into Google Analytics. Uh, They had a program called Infusionsoft, which is like a Salesforce competitor. And then they log into QuickBooks and get all this data and see how a lot of their marketing, which is mostly paid search, they're spending real money on this. They're spending Google AdWords to drive traffic. So all this was great, but they would be able to do it once a week because it was very time-consuming. 
we installed our dashboard, and now all that information is getting updated in real time every 20 minutes, and they can see now on an hour-by-hour basis which keywords are performing best, which landing pages are performing best, and not just in terms of revenues, but also in terms of margin, because some of their products with shipping and all the discounts they offer are tremendously profitable, and others are a little bit of lost leaders. So all this data existed in the business, but it was not in an actionable form. The dashboard, by doing a dashboard integration uh, into the, in, with, with this client, they've been able to improve their profitability. We just installed a dashboard uh, for the client at the beginning of the first quarter of the year, and in uh, the third quarter numbers will be out very shortly. But for the second quarter, it was their most profitable uh, quarter in the history of the company, and they attribute a lot of that to the kind of that fine tuning that they've been able to do because of the dashboard. Yeah, that's great. Modern technology is amazing when you use it. You know? Yes. Uh, so, th- th- share with me more about you know how growth think helps owners, and, and maybe you could tell me another story or two about owners that have come to you. What what do they come to you looking for? How were you able to help, and what was the benefit in the end? Uh, they come into two buckets. I mean, one certainly is uh, is this idea of getting to an exit that just uh, clarity around what's the best, uh, the most the best path to take to give them the highest likelihood of getting to an, an exit, a sale of the company. That's a big bucket. Um, the second bucket, which is related, which I think is actually uh, more on point, is that they have existing businesses that they like but they don't love. So, you know, they're they're there and they're they're seeing a lot of the um, the limitations of their business. It could be because the market's not growing that fast. Competition is such that's sucking out margin. They don't like they like it, but they don't love their existing business. And they also see technological threat, right? So they see these businesses are are, are going to have a challenge because technology is eroding some core competitive advantage. So they come to us with ideas for adjacent business opportunities. They're businesses that are related to what they're doing, but they're different. So. As an example, in the crossbow business, that there's opportunities in other forms of personal defense products and services. So that's a related business, but it's different. So they want to build a business plan to execute on that business. And it's hard to do because they have this existing business that takes up all their time. So they're trying to get this new business launched within the context of the existing business, but they want it to be separate. That's a big thing they come to us for. That's very typical. In fact, I see most entrepreneurs of ambition that they have a business and they're executing on it, but as they're doing it, they're seeing anywhere between you know, three and ten adjacent opportunities. They're like, oh, man, I'd love to go after that. <laughs> and, and they bring in guys like us to help. Yeah. Well, I always see shiny new objects and they uh, yes. attention. So. Yes, yes. Yeah, and, and it's great. I love it, but uh, it's it's one of the um, challenges of entrepreneurial yes. eighty day. Yeah. Um, yes. So what's when, the balance, right? Right. It's finding a balance and making sure that there's uh, revenue coming in and profits yep. to, to support you and what you want to achieve. Yep. You got so, it. Um, is, is, so walk me through the, in the first bucket with the companies that are looking to exit, how are you helping them? What kind of services are you offering? And, and maybe even more specifically, you know, can you talk about what what are the most common mistakes you see owners make before they get it, get to you around their exit strategy? 
I would say that a, a huge mistake is not really, you know, having a, a very um, myopic echo chamber view of their market. That they they don't they they they, don't, they, they just their view of the market. They, they just they stop listening to what's going on in terms of of their market, how their market is changing, what their competition is doing. A, a lot of poo-pooing of competitors, not really digesting what comp- the competitors are doing. And as a result, that there's a certain stagnation of strategy, just n- not very innovative. Uh, that, that, would, that would be a huge bucket. They're just not letting them themselves just step out of the paradigm of their existing model. That, that's a big one. Um, I think... Uh, in that realm, they don't they don't have enough dialogues going on on with people that are candidly better than them. A lot of entrepreneurs, they are they they're they're they're, they're kings of their little castles, right? So, relative to the people, let's say that work for them or are in their social circles, they're like the most successful person, right? So, uh, I think there's that's that's wonderful, but that also can lead to a certain degree of stagnation. So. Building social networks, professional networks of people that are more successful than you and uh, that have different – and also from totally different businesses that have different perspectives and getting into those kind of like really high-value added conversations, I find that to be uh, an area that a lot of uh, small business owners, uh, that, that, they, that they fall into that trap. Now, just to uh, add a comment, a plug for uh, EO. So if anyone yep. is looking for an international association of entrepreneurs, uh, I'm a member of EO. It's a great organization. Uh, Corey, who's the founder of Vestipedia, he's also a member up in Calgary. I'm a member down in South Florida. Uh, so check out EO and find a local chapter. I'd strongly encourage that. It is a great, it is a great organization. Yeah. So um, aside from the, the errors that they're making, you know, and I think you, you kind of bucket them into two broad categories that are common, unfortunately. Uh, what about, you know, kind of having the discussions with internal and external stakeholders around an exit? Is that something where you guys get involved? Do you have advice to offer to owners about how to approach this topic with their, you know, their employees, their vendors? I actually think that that conversation can be framed very positively and that many owners take it as being something that uh, is naturally a negative for the people in the company when I I think that in many sale dynamics, many acquisition dynamics, it's a great opportunity for the people in the company to to, – expand their their skill sets to make more money and it's not always a threat and i would say that it's also very you know to get it, also to get to sell a business at a, at a valuation that's beyond a couple times earnings you kind of have to communicate that you kind of got to communicate that there's some underutilized assets within that company so um you know, there's a lot of lot of lot of scenarios under which it's a positive for the employees of the company, and I think that spending some time thinking through options that are win-win, that are positive for the employees and, and get a high multiple for the business, um, I, I think that's the place to start. It doesn't mean that there, there isn't a, a need for discretion and confidentiality in these processes. Of course, there is, um, but 
that uh, just taking a pause in that discussion and don't always assume that the employees are going to view it as a negative. You may not be as great as you think you are. <laughs> so. Um, so your your partner um, wrote a book, Start at the End. How has that influenced GrowThink? Is that is that something that you guys uh, kind of – is there a message in there that that's gotten converted into your process at GrowThink? Well, the book is a distillation of a lot of our consulting processes. So the book, there's a start at the end uh, website that has a number of worksheets and do-it-yourself templates to follow a lot of the principles of of, uh, exit planning that Dave outlines in the book. And then, like everything else, I mean, you can can buy a book on, um, on nutrition or you can hire a nutritionist, right? You can buy a book on working out or you can hire a personal trainer. There's just different levels of service that can be laid on top of those principles because it's just it's very competitive and if if you're trying to do things on your own and your competition has the best advisors to and coaches to help them that you're going to lose. I mean, is that like the Olympics? I mean, is there any Olympic athlete that doesn't have a coach? Every one of them does. So Yeah, that's great. So, uh, so I guess at the end, if you if you like start at the end, if you've read it and you like it, um, it's a great opportunity for someone to come to GrowThink and and get that personalized coaching service. Yeah, that's terrific. Um, so before we wrap up, maybe you wanted to share a story or two about you know either your experiences as an entrepreneur and how they might be helpful to our audience, or your experiences as an advisor to entrepreneurs. You know, what could you share with our listeners that you think they might not already know? Um, I would say that I've been we've been running GrowSync for 14 years now. We started the company in 1999, and I would I would say that the biggest the biggest takeaway is to I'm going to come back to what I said earlier, Noah. That I think that the great companies they provide opportunities for the people in the company to do their best work. And that's something that I've, and I, I found that to be not just the most personally rewarding when we get to those circumstances, but the most profitable work <laughs> that we do. That when we can get our people to be, if you look at some companies, let's say at Genentech or uh, Microsoft, and you look at their revenues per employee, I mean, it's over a million dollars. And so these businesses are really, really profitable. So they're doing something that these bigger companies, where they have these cultures, where they they pay their people well, and these people sit in a culture where they do great work. And I think a lot of small businesses, lower middle market companies, they lose sight of that. It's too too much about the success for the entrepreneur. And their success is being limited because they're not creating enough opportunities for the people around them to be successful. Yeah. Well, that's great advice, and I think if if uh, the owners on the call and even the advisors to owners just walk around their office and take a look around and see if their employees are reaching their full potential and you know excited about the work that they're doing, um, they'll know quickly if they're if they've achieved everything they can, right? Hundred percent. Yeah. Hundred percent, Noah. Terrific. So, uh, for listeners that would like to get in touch with you, what's the best way? 
Uh, certainly visit our website, uh, growthink.com. Grow is and get bigger. Think what we sometimes do with our heads. We think. That's a great place. All the contact information for uh, myself and all of us are there. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at, at JayTuro, J-A-Y-T-U-R-O. And uh, certainly like us on, uh, visit us on, we maintain an active uh, Facebook and LinkedIn page, both for GrowThink. So we'd love to interact with you there as well. Terrific. Well, Jay Toro of GrowThink, I appreciate you sharing your experiences as an entrepreneur and as an advisor to owners. Uh, and thanks to all of our listeners. Please uh, continue to do me the favor and post your reviews on iTunes. Uh, we'll see, we've gotten a few more in. And, and for those of you listening, if you could take a few minutes out of your day and post a quick review on iTunes, we'd really appreciate it. And certainly, if you want to uh, forward a link to someone you know that you think could benefit from the interview, we'd always welcome that. Thanks to everyone, and have a great day. Thanks for listening to the Divestopedia Exit Strategy Podcast. Make sure to visit us on the web at divestopedia.com to see more of our resources for entrepreneurs who want to sell their business for the best price and terms. Whether you are thinking of selling, have started the sales process, or are post-deal, we aim to arm you with the knowledge required to maximize value and limit your downside risk. If you have any questions about today's podcast, you can contact your host, Noah Rosenfarb, a CPA and personal CFO to business owners planning their transition at 855-540-0400. Please be sure to rate us on iTunes and give us your feedback. Until next time, this is the Divestopedia Exit Strategy Podcast.